the New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain, and this is episode 442. Our guest today, Miriam Joie, Tank Girl, uh, connecting in from, uh, are you in California today or... Uh Further no, north. hello. Um, I am actually in Oregon today, uh, my second residence uh, in Portland. Um, thanks for having me on, Paul. Uh, always always a pleasure to have you on the show. And, of course, uh, Miriam is the host of the Mobile Tech Podcast. It will be found online at uh, mobiletechpodcast.com. Uh, but maybe you can fill us in on where you've been for the last few days. Yeah, so uh, last week I was actually in, uh, in Taiwan for Computex in Taipei. Uh, and uh, most recently, I was uh, obviously in San Francisco and then here. So, uh, but that's uh, basically spent a week uh, covering the show over there in in uh, in Taiwan. So that was great. Excellent. Well, I'm keen to hear from you. What were the uh, what were the highlights? There seems to be a lot from the chip manufacturers, uh, Intel, uh, AMD. Uh, imagine some in there from uh, Qualcomm uh, as well. What were the highlights that uh, that jumped out to you? There seems to be a you know fair few headlines that have been generated over the last few weeks. But of course, we're also going to be diving into all the Apple news on on uh, or a chunk of it on this. <laughs> Episode, but you know, first of all, I wanted to sort of hear some of the highlights from uh, well, the uh, good from news Computex. for you for trying to cram as much stuff as you can into a show is that Computex was a bit of a sleeper show this year. It felt a lot quieter, a lot, uh, a lot less exciting than usual. Um, you know, I think the, the the challenge here that we're running into is is you know the as as a lot of this uh, crazy trade war stuff is is starting to take shape between various countries, um, uh, companies are being a little shy about get going out there and continuing business as usual. That's the feeling I got right, from right. being at Computex. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean there wasn't anything new, but a company like Asus, you know, who's, that's headquartered in, in Taiwan, uh, who really is usually the front runner of, of, of Computex. I mean, the, the big news are always the Asus uh, announcements. Even they kind of had, you know, some new stuff, but nothing that really stood out and was super exciting. I mean, usually, you know, they have at least three or four things you can talk about at length. And this time, I felt like they really only had one. And so it's not to say that they didn't have something cool. It's just to say that it felt like they were, you know, kind of wait and see attitude about everything. And I think the same thing applied about all the other manufacturers. I mean, Dell had a press conference, but didn't have a booth. HP wasn't even there. Um, you know, you had, uh, of course, Qualcomm, and I want to talk about that because I think that was one of the more exciting uh, parts of, of the of the news there. Uh, Intel and AMD uh, made some announcements. I honestly did not go to these press conferences, not something I, ca- I care about that much and cover that much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, the, 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 the kind of high-level view is, you know, Intel announced their 10th gen chips, and, you know, it's pretty much what you expect. Nothing groundbreaking here, in my opinion. Uh, 10 nanometer is still not 7 nanometer, sorry to say. <laughs> That's what Yeah, the I guess they, right they, now, they've okay? been trying like, to sh- shrink mean, their chips down for a long time, haven't they? And they're, uh, they're falling a little bit behind the industry. But, uh, you know, in reality still today, the very, very large majority of uh, desktops, laptops and servers still have Intel chips. So uh, 
there there is a benefit there, but uh, it, it it looks like time that you know the tide is turning uh, with you know A- AMD being increasingly competitive. The bigger news is that AMD you know came out with some new Ryzen chips. Some of them side of seven nanometers, so that. You know, I mean, again, it's not about nanometers, right? It's about what's the user experience in the end. Are you getting great battery life? Are you getting fanless designs? Are you getting slim and light per computers that perform well? And that's what the end goal should be. I'm, I'm, I mean, you know, I, I don't really care about how many nanometers. I'm just saying that, you know, it's it's funny to me that Intel is still kind of like, you know, not quite there yet. And AMD, of all people you know, would be the ones coming out with a 7 nanometer PC chip. Now, on the mobile world, as I said, 7 nanometers has been par for the course for about a year or so now. So nothing too new and exciting there. Um, but th- the reality is, you know, Computex is a PC show, primarily. Um, it's a show where you get to see a lot of laptops and two-in-ones, get a lot of computer parts. Traditionally, it's a computer parts show, right? Uh, Asus and Acer and these Taiwanese companies... Uh, you know, Gigabyte, etc. They are, um, you know, they both make, they, I mean, they started out making parts, like, you know, in 1980, this was the 30th anniversary of ASUS, which is another reason why I felt like it was a little quiet compared to what it should be, because 30 years is nothing to sneer at. They, um, you know, they started in 1989 with a motherboard, right? That's that's what ASUS does. And then eventually, now they make laptops and things. The ZenBook is really, was the first uh, laptop that could compete with the MacBook Air in terms of form factor. They sure. were the first to implement the Ultrabook that Intel kind of des- designed, as it were, right? And Intel really designed it based on their experience working with Apple on the MacBook Air. So, you know, um, so what I'm getting into here is that, you know, it's primarily a PC show. You'll get a lot of video cards, a lot of motherboards, a lot of chips, a lot of memory, a lot of SSDs, uh, you know, gaming is big there. There's a lot of gaming laptops, gaming systems and accessories around that. And, and the entire ecosystem of PC accessories from routers to mice, to keyboards, to rack mounts, to fans, to, you know, fancy in computer lighting, computer cases, all of that is what Computex is all about. And all of that was there. You know, you, you don't, you don't go to Computex and expect anything else. So I don't think that was any different, but in terms of big announcements, it was really, for me, it was Qualcomm and and Lenovo partnering on something we can discuss in a minute, and and Asus, but Asus, you know, again, just one thing that I figured is worthy of talking about. There are a bunch of 30th anniversary products they launched, and they're nice, but yeah. you know, you pay a premium for just a custom design for that anniversary. Is really nothing to it. Sure. Yeah, well, I think um, it, yeah, you, you're right. It, it's a it's a show that has uh, certain areas of of focus, and they they you know seem to remain reasonably similar each year. And uh, yeah, maybe a little a little disappointing in some regards this year. Not uh, not so exciting, but I'm, I'm sure some people will be uh, will be. Uh, yeah, pleased to see the the. Uh, I guess I would say growing competition uh, again, or, or competitiveness of of AMD versus uh, versus Intel, and yeah. uh, you know that 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 will bring some good things I think to the table over the next little while. We've already seen AMD uh, chips start to appear again in uh, you know in devices from the HPs and Lenovo's and 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 so on uh, of this world. Which yeah, it's been a good a good uh, few years since uh, we'd 
seen those coming through. I think uh, Lenovo recently. I was you know looking at their their lineup of uh, of ThinkPads and you know where we used to have the you know T four hundred sort of series uh, models. Uh, what are we up to now? About T four ninety, I think, is what's sort of just coming through. But there's also, uh, I think, like a four nine five model, and that you know the five being uh, one based on uh, AMD chips. So there's certainly some uh, some changes going on, and uh, you know the, these announcements all uh, all all help with uh, uh, moving things forward. So it's uh, it's good from that perspective. So I think um, we're going to see some good stuff come out of the chip announcements i just feel like you know there wasn't anything there kind of showing that off yet it was mm, just mm. mostly here are some new chips yeah, we think yeah. they're going to be competitive yeah the specs look good you know hopefully the pricing is good but you know it would be nice to do what qualcomm did where they actually showed a, de- a design using their their product so uh and maybe i can i can segue into that uh, i do want to before i go though mention that since we talked about intel's 10th generation chips they delivered that 10th gen chip and they also delivered a product with a 10th 10 gen chip which i thought was great in partnership with dell dell launched a new uh, xps line uh the xps 13 two in one is um you know kind of an iteration for the third or fourth or fifth time now on and they're on their xps uh design language and it's honestly the thinnest lightest sexiest uh, version of the XPS 13 2-in-1 we've seen to date. And it has, you guessed it, Intel's 10th gen chip in it. And, um, you know, they've done, they've done a few interesting little things like uh, relocate the camera to the top of the bezel without making the bezel bigger. Uh, so no more uh, chin cam uh, on those Dells, which that's, is nice. That's good, yeah. Um, and, you know, again, thinner, lighter, better battery life. Um, definitely sexy two-in-one. I mean, if if I had to look at a two-in-one right now that wasn't a Lenovo Yoga, because to me they are kind of like my favorite form factor. I'm I'm not a big fan of the Surface form factor, even though I feel the Surface products are fantastic. Um, I would definitely look at this Dell two-in-one. Um, so there. So that's kind of a, an aside. Okay. Before I think uh, we jump into potentially the Asus or Qualcomm news or both. Yeah. Uh, what would you like to talk about next? Well, before we uh, dive into anything else, I'm keen to hear, did you get to see this dual-screen laptop prototype that uh, Intel uh, showed off to uh, to some people there? I think they referred to it as I the, did not. the Honeycomb Glacier. This sounds interesting. What, what, do you th- what do you think about the form factor? The way, from what I saw, it seems like it's, it looks like a normal uh, laptop. The keyboard sort of moved moved closer uh, to you as a user of the device and then the, the back half of the base sort of uh, can basically you know turn up so it's it's uh, it's you know giving you this extra screen basically and you can lift your normal screen up to uh, a better height which you know I guess one of the one of the challenges from a working on a on a laptop perspective for uh, for a time is that you have to bend your neck down this I just I think I thought it looked looked quite uh, um, quite interesting not I'm not sure whether it's something that will uh, will catch on but yeah what, what are your thoughts? I like the idea a lot. I think it's a better implementation than what Asus showed, uh, and and you know you're pretty much describing Asus's product other than the the adjustable part of the second display. Um, so maybe we should talk about that because I mean you won't. I think it, the Intel product is more of a segue of 
the ASUS product in a way, because it's an evolution of that design. The biggest challenge, I think, for both ASUS with the non-folding design version of that and for Intel's uh, kind of prototype is, is that these are not thin and light laptops. These are big workstation-type devices, and I think there's a limited market for that. I think that the future is really about multi-screen laptops that are thin and light as that Dell 2-in-1 and, and your Lenovo Yoga, as I was mentioning, or even that this MacBook 12-inch I'm recording on right now. That's where people want to go. Um, there's always going to be a need for people that are power users, but I do not feel that dual display equals power user. And that's the thing that I'm not happy with about what I saw at Computex. Yeah, Some people are going to say, well, Miriam, maybe you're being impatient and you should wait for things to take their turn. And, you know, they have to start somewhere. And right now they can only package these as workstation grade laptops or gaming laptops. Maybe, but I, I know what Asus can do. I've seen them pull rabbits out of hats in previous years. And I feel like, you know, and, and Intel's done some really great prototypes as well. So I feel like... Yeah, I feel like there's a bit of a lack of vision here. I, I feel that they're not looking far enough. I actually feel that last year's Asus dual screen laptop prototype, which was basically do, is replacing the entire keyboard deck and trackpad with a second screen, very yes. similar to the Lenovo Yoga book. Uh, and and uh, most recently, the Yoga, Lenovo folding uh, screen laptop. Yeah, I think that's the future. I think forget the keyboard and trackpad. You know? Right, right. Um, well, I guess we, we've managed to do that haptic. on our smartphones, haven't we? Exactly. Pro- implement a proper haptic. You have lots of surface area here to, pr- to implement proper haptics. So you, you, you're talking about you could, so you would feel as though you had keys there even though it was just a, just a, just a screen. But even further than that, what if you implement the same uh, as a Surface device where you have a, a cover, which is the keyboard and trackpad for those who really cannot live without the mechanical experience. And it docks on to a design like what we saw Intel do, where the laptop is just essentially two screens that open to, you know, like the, you open the thing and there's a screen on each side or it's a folding screen. And then, you know, maybe there's a stand in the back you can prop up to adjust the height. And then the keyboard, the physical keyboard that's an optional accessory with the trackpad kind of like magnetically latches to the bottom edge of that. Mm, mm. That to me is the way you should design that as a super light, super thin system that, you know, touts the greatest and latest from Intel or Qualcomm yeah, in okay. terms of chipset. Yeah, yeah. Why are we seeing these as one inch thick monster Core i9 Radeon 9 you know, uh, RTX-based, almost gaming laptop-type devices. Like, I, it's just weird to me. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, anything else from uh, from Computex that we should... Well, I uh, mean, that's the thing. I think we should talk about what ASUS did, and we should talk about what Qualcomm did. So ASUS basically did a laptop that... And this is the confusion with their, with their product here, and this is the meat, I think, of Computex. There's two things we're going to talk about. So ASUS launched the ZenBook Pro Duo. Now, the ZenBook line of laptops is an ultrabook line of laptops. It's ultra light, ultra thin, ultra portable, right? That's the you know that's the, the the essence of being of that line of laptops. Now there are some bigger ZenBook laptops like the ZenBook Pro from last year, which replaced the trackpad. Well, it's still a trackpad, but you know, put a display inside the trackpad, a second screen inside the trackpad. That was very innovative, mm. and. Um, you know, they are now on their second gen of that technology at Asus, and all of their new ZenBooks and VivoBook S series 
have are going to have the key, the trackpad display, which they call ScreenPad, going forward. So this is what I'm saying. Like Asus last year did this on one device, it, it, it was a thin and light, but like a bigger, more spec device, and then they they pushed it out to every laptop this year, right? So now they took this concept and made it in instead of keeping the trackpad as a display, they did what Intel did with that prototype you mentioned. They slid the keyboard forward towards the user and the part where the keyboard normally would be on a laptop is a second display, the whole part. So it's exactly the same width display as the main display, number same number of pixels, but it's half the height in terms of pixels as the main display. So you can extend the display, you can uh, configure that bottom display into two panes or three panes, and it has like a window manager that helps you kind of like uh, do this very quickly and memorize layouts um, so that you can be very productive. And I love the idea, I think that's fantastic. I'm not in love with the keyboard being repositioned closer to you because the other thing in doing that is that they move the trackpad to the right where it can either be a numpad or a trackpad, very much like a lot of gaming laptops do. Yeah, uh, yeah. The gaming laptops tend to move the keyboard towards you for thermals. Um, this is for the display. And so all of this is fine so far, even though the keyboard is not the best location, in my opinion. I like the idea of this dual display and the productivity it brings. But here's where it kind of falls apart. It is branded a ZenBook Pro Duo, yet it is not a ZenBook device. It is a one and a half inch almost thick laptop with a power supply that's the same size as an Xbox 360 brick. Yeah, huge. Um, with a two hour battery life, maybe, maybe four, I don't know, but abysmal. Core i9, you know, Radeon, R uh, sorry, NVIDIA RTX um, video card. It's a powerhouse. And I don't think there's any problem with that per se. I have a problem with the branding and, and the confusion around the branding. This should be an ROG Zephyrus gaming laptop, or it should be a studio book, which is um, Asus's uh, professional workstation laptop line, right? Then you could get away with having a laptop that thick and heavy. I mean, it's a beautiful looking device, but it's really bulky and has a very unwieldy power supply and, you know, um, probably doesn't have great battery life because of, because yeah. of the way it's packaged. Yeah, that, that, and that and I don't bit, understand, like, Asus is way more innovative than that. What, you know? Now, what do you think about the, the, the device? Because it's, it's like, you know, if we look at uh, MacBook with the, with the uh, touch bar, it's like a massive sort of touch bar type, uh, exactly. and type I, area. I guess, what, said, what do you I think of that approach? Idea. Yeah. And I think that the second display is very clever because especially with the right software where you can drag an entire app into like basically either two halves of the bottom or three thirds of the bottom. Um, and it all like, kind of like, you know, clicks in place. So you don't have to do too much shenanigans to get a layout that you like. So like, say you are a video, a, a gamer and you Twitch stream your stuff. You can have the game on the main screen. You could divide the bottom into three panes where you have Discord in one, your chat in the middle, and maybe your, tw your, your Twitch stream on the right. 
Right, yeah, there, there could be a good u- use case, right. and I think much more practical exactly. so than, they, they the, than the touch bar. They had all kinds of use cases like that. They had use yeah. cases around video editing, around, you know, uh, blogging, around – I mean, look, I like the idea. It's just I don't understand why they implemented it on something that big and heavy and also that they branded it as ZenBook when it's – you know, ZenBooks are Ultrabooks. Yeah. And then on top of that, this keyboard with a trackpad pushed in front of you and the trackpad on the right means left-handed people can't use it. Um and you're going to need to plug in a mouse at that point. And then, you know, honestly, this is where I would have done like basically, um, uh, a, a, you know, either another, if it's so th- it's already so thick, why not have a little thing that pulls out from the bottom with the keyboard in it? Um, and or a trackpad that, you know, kind of like uh, flips uh, down from the keyboard, like, you know, c- protects the keyboard when it's not in use, you know, something really thin because trackpads can be super thin. Yeah, sure. Um, that would be totally like a crazy Asus design. Like people would be like, okay, this is crazy, but it's Asus and we expect crazy Asus at Computex. And yet this was just kind of like made me ask more questions and I had answers, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And and so, and Intel kind of riffed on that with their prototype and I think they did a better job. Um, so there you go. That's, that's the Asus news. I mean, there's 30th anniversary laptop and stuff, but, you know, again, nothing too much right, other than right. that. And then, if you want, I can just segue right into Qualcomm because yeah, yeah. I think that's the most exciting news of the show, really. Qualcomm at uh, their some, uh, tech summit in December in Hawaii, where I was, and they announced the, a new chip optimized for laptops called the uh, Snapdragon 8CX. It's basically an 855 chip that's used on phones today. Yeah, that's the best kind of the, they make the, for the phones. top, the top but phone kind of chip. Cr- cr- you know, turn to 11 in terms of performance and optimize for the kind of I.O. needed for a laptop. Um, and it's fanless 7 nanometer, has built-in LTE, and is compatible with their X55 5G modem. Um, and um, the big news is that they demoed, and they let us try, benchmarks using ben- uh, PC Mark's latest uh, PC Mark 10, the new suite of, of uh, benchmarks that are, instead of doing synthetic benchmarks, are real life benchmarks. So they actually run Microsoft Office and Photoshop, you know, uh, Adobe CC series apps uh, over a sustained amount of time doing the same tasks on, uh, you know, multiple laptops to kind of compare performance in terms of sustained thermal management, sustained heat on the system, and, you know, sustained I.O., etc. So it's much more realistic, I think. To, uh, to than, what a, yeah, than, a person would actually uh, be doing correct, on a computer. exactly. And yeah, so what's great. exciting about it is that they um, showed the HCX running on a, on a prototype um, with uh, doing this benchmark fanless, okay, um, versus a Core i5 Intel-based identical uh, specs otherwise with a fan. And the HCX was about 20% faster, even though some of the apps it was running were emulated because it's an ARM chip, so it has, emula- has to emulate x86 unless some apps are natively compiled. Sure. Some of the apps, like the web browser, was natively compiled, but Microsoft Office wasn't natively compiled on the demo. And so to me, 20% better on PC Mark 10 without a fan is pretty impressive and at the same time you know without uh with less degradation to, in terms of power use right in terms of battery life so that's where we're headed i think so Arm the, this sort the of highlights the competition we're going to get into then we're going to have uh qualcomm amd and intel you know potentially all competing for 
the same customers. If, well, uh, I don't if, think if, it's if, just Qualcomm. I think it could be Samsung with uh, with Exynos. It could be Apple with their own A something, or maybe they'll call it M chip for the Macs. Sure. Um, yeah. Right? I think ARM running Windows, ARM running uh, Mac OS is the future in terms of low-power, uh, ultra-portable, ultra-mobile computing for laptops. And I saw the future in that demo. To me, that is much more significant than, you know, anything else because it's the holy grail. We need, we, we laptops are great, but a lot of people are not using them because they're like, ah, the battery life isn't quite there. And, you know, there's fans and it's heavy and bulky comparatively to say an iPad Pro. And I'm like, but I think it's a better experience than the iPad Pro. So for me, I want something as even sleeker than an iPad Pro that is a full computer, you know. And it's I'm starting to see that with 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 Qualcomm and and this uh, and this HCX. And then the other exciting news is that they showed us a prototype that they did together with Lenovo called Project Limitless. And Project Limitless, as its name implies, has no limits. So, you know, battery life for days and. It has 5G radio built in, Qualcomm's X55 modem, um, and it was running uh, on a, a sub-6 5G network from uh, uh, one of the local telecoms in, in Taipei there called Changhua Telecom. So we got a demo of a 5G, you know, connected ARM-based Windows 10 laptop that Lenovo will be launching sometime in the new year. So that's super exciting to me as well. Wow, this is uh, uh, yeah, this this is impressive. I I'm very interested to see how it's going to uh, play out. I guess it's been rumored for years that uh, Apple will move off the Intel platform for the the Mac, and uh, you know, seeing this well, at least coming at the from, entry level, you from, know, at, at least yeah, at the kind of like yeah. ultra thin, ultra light, like MacBook 12 inch type level. Well, you can uh, you know, if we're starting to see that performance really you know catch up or 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 exceed the you know the typical of a of a uh, you know average Intel laptop, then you know that that's the point. I think uh, people will start to uh, start to really take interest, and particularly when it comes with benefits around battery life and you know less heat, so that that uh, avoids the need for fans. And of course, anyone with uh, uh, I mean, it, with a, a MacBook will, it's not will just be, battery be, life, yeah, less heat. You, it's also used to packaging. Those things. The chips are smaller. That's it. Uh, it's also things like. Um, Standby and you know, um, ARM chips and and are much better optimized for basically going to sleep efficiently, right? Mm -hmm. And still firing up some of the little cores. You know, there's big little, right? Little little cores for checking email while the laptop is closed. It can connect to the internet real quick and and check notifications and stuff, right? Yeah, that's something that Intel machines don't do. They just basically go to sleep when they're closed. You know, I mean, there are some that wake up periodically, but that's not as battery efficient as what you get on an ARM design because mm. it's by it's baked in because these these processors come from the mobile world. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's that's good. Now moving on to uh, Apple, their uh, WWDC, the Worldwide Developers Conference. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, not not usually a place where we see uh, too much in terms of certainly the hardware announcements, but uh, the new Mac Pro being uh, announced, and this is uh, you know to me. 
I hope a good indicator really of Apple's recommitment to the Mac. It's been a, a long time coming. We look back at the uh, the the trash can uh, Mac Pro as it as it sometimes got uh, uh, yes. re- re- referred to, but you know that was a very nice looking device, very powerful when it came out. But that was six years ago, and you know Apple have done very little uh, to improve that over the, over that period. And and well, they kind of put themselves in a corner right well that you know that they they i think as a as a manufacturer of technology equipment the their customers need to know that they can you know they can trust a brand that they invest in and when you when you you know you bring a customer on board and they pay the sort of money that apple charges for their high end equipment you need to have confidence that the next year you're going to be able to buy a competitive product too and the year after that and the year after that but by not quite sitting on their hands for 6 years but not not far off it uh you know that's got to really you know dent uh people's confidence in in apple's uh uh, in Apple as a provider, because if you bought that Mac Pro back then, and then if you needed to buy another one uh, today, and you know most businesses are are uh, rolling over and replacing their gear about every three years, so you know there there needs to be that uh, uh, that ongoing development, and it hasn't happened. But I I see with this that uh, the new Mac Pro, uh, a it's super powerful, starting price of uh, US six thousand uh, dollars, and and what we've been seeing with sort of refreshes from the the Mac Mini uh, up, I'm I'm getting the feeling here that uh, Apple are, are going to sh- you know shorten that refresh cycle, and uh, and you know I certainly hope they're going to be become a much trusted. Uh, supplier of uh, of technology to go on people's laps and 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 desktops yeah no absolutely i agree um i do have a different perspective though i think that you're right about um apple having eroded their trust with some of their pro customers uh, not just because of the trash can mac pro or the, the the cylinder mac pro as it's known but also because of the current macbook pro design but here is what i want to say about that this is not apple's fault And this, you're going to say, wait, what are you talking about? This is Intel's fault, Paul. Intel has consistently not delivered what Apple wants. Apple wants, when they designed the chassis for the MacBook Pro, for example, the current chassis 2016, there was a roadmap from Intel on what those chips would do and how fast they would be and how thermally efficient they would be at a certain time point. And Intel has not delivered that. So now in order to get the performance pros expect, that chassis is no longer valid in terms of thermal performance. Exactly the same thing happened with the cylinder Mac. So I think the one thing that Apple... But, but customers are customers of, of, of Apple. Ultimately, it's got an Intel chip in it. But you know, App, Apple needs to deliver regardless, yeah, and, right? Yeah, and I agree. And what I'm getting to is to me where Apple failed is... With the cylinder, the cylinder particularly, where they they didn't make it expandable like pros wanted. I mean, they did in the graphics card, but they, it was limited, and 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 that was a mistake. Um, but I feel that the fact that it wasn't upgradable and they they didn't release more upgrades for it was because Intel wasn't able to deliver what they could put in there to satisfy the pros uh, and still keep this function, this system functional in terms of its thermal envelope and design. And the same thing is happening with the MacBook Pro right now as we speak. All you have to do is watch Dave Lee's videos, Dave 2D on YouTube to know that thermal throttling, you know, it's not a huge deal if you run the... Uh, 
a computer at the limit of its thermal capabilities, a chip at the limit of its capabilities. Some, you know, Apple's done that in the past, but you know, it's nice to have a bit of extra headroom and a bit better cooling. And you, if you can't, if you have to redesign the entire chassis to do it, it that means that you know, Apple had a certain idea of how long that chassis was going to be valid for, and now they had to redo it. So, uh, Intel has consistently underdelivered in terms of, you know, uh, thermal performance and battery and and power usage um, to manage the kind of um, compute performance that people expect. And that's why ARM is going to eat their lunch. And that is why I am absolutely certain that Apple is working really hard on ARM-based Macs right now because they do not want that thing. They want to be able to create their own chips so they're in control of their own destiny. Yeah, I, I I agree. Now, iPad OS was announced uh, by Apple this this week, and uh, you know, to to me, it's I guess it's an indicator that uh, the you know the iPad is a very important device to them. They didn't need to change the the name of the operating system from iOS. It's you know it's always been there's always been differences between what the uh, how the iPhone operates and how the iPad operates. But I guess it's you know it's an indicator that they're uh, they're really doubling down on their uh, their commitment to the iPad, especially uh, the iPad Pro and making that really. Uh, you know, more and more a device for for productivity and for getting uh, getting work work done. Uh, so that was, um, you know, I think there's there's certainly some you know some positive indicators there and uh, changes in terms of how the operating system works and its ability to sort of you know multitask with multiple things on screen and uh, changing the user experience a little bit around that. Um, yeah. Uh, how, how you know how do you feel about uh, about the 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 their their changes there? And the I guess the coming together um, between uh, Mac OS and and iPad OS they seem to be uh, they seem to be getting closer. Apple are making it easier uh, now with their announcement for those developing uh, iPad uh, apps to make it uh, to make it a, pr- a pretty simple process to publish those also on the Mac. And of course, this is something we've seen from Microsoft and uh, and 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 others in the past. Uh, this ability to yeah, easily create an app that can go on uh, on different form factors and uh, and different devices. And uh, you know, Apple have been slowly moving in this direction. I, I wonder how it will will play out when we might see maybe a, a touchscreen uh, uh, MacBook. Although you know, certainly in the in the past, Apple have been very clear that we should never expect such a thing. So uh, maybe that will be a new device under under a new brand. Uh, you know, when it finally arrives. But it, it does seem we're seeing more and more overlap. Yeah, no, I think I'm super excited about iPad OS. I, I just want to sorry to wrap up a little bit from before. I feel like. This new Mac Pro is this tremendous product. It's a glorious product, particularly the new display, which competes and surpasses in many ways some some $40,000 displays from Sony. Um, for professionals who really need that kind of um, equipment, this, this, this delivers. This is kind of the ultimate PC that you can buy if you're a professional creator. Um, you know, you can try to assemble one yourself, but you're not going to come close. And I feel that that uh, you know, they Apple is like does no longer wants to be 
you know, bound by Intel's roadmap and has basically made this thing wide open to be expandable forever. Even the I.O. is on a subcard. It's very, very interesting. Um, and they have a, a card called Afterburner for uh, 8K and 4K video uh, compression. So I think it's super cool. Uh, back to the iPad OS. So I feel that it's about time that the iPad OS gets its own personality. Now we have Mac OS, we have Watch OS, we have TV OS, we have iOS for the iPhone, and we have iPad OS. This makes perfect sense. They're all based on OS 10 or the, the Darwin-based OS, which is fantastic. They have a lot of commonality. But the thing that excites me the most about the iPad OS are two things. Number one, of course, better multitasking, a better user experience for that, for more productivity. You mentioned that already. The other one is file support. Now, we can actually work directly if the app that you use support it. You can now work directly on external drives. It supports uh, USB devices uh, and SD devices directly. So that's a big, Plug in big USB deal for a lot of people's yeah. workflow. Yeah, that's handy, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and then and the other thing I want to talk about, you mentioned this about potentially, you know, maybe seeing a MacBook someday with a touchscreen. I still don't think that Apple wants to go there, even though I think they are wrong. <laughs> Very clear. <laughs> I think I want a Mac with a touchscreen, um, especially since now uh, Catalyst, formerly known as, uh, I can't remember what it was, but the, the thing that lets you run uh, iPad and iPhone apps on, on, a, on, a, la- on a Mac yeah, yeah. Um, is, is, is real and it's available to developers. It would make perfect perfect sense to have a touchscreen on the MacBook. But they're not going to do it because it's a philosophical thing that, you know, they're invested in now. And even like the, not even, have, It's like not having headphone jacks. They'll never bring it back even though they know everybody wants it. Yeah, um, yeah. So, <laughs> well, so, I guess so technically the point, they do have a touchscreen and the touch bar, but it's a it's a very small and right. uh, but, but, very but what's really limited. Exciting, and, you know, again, back to iPad OS, is that there's this thing feature called Sidecar that comes with the new Mac Catalina OS macOS Catalina and with the iPad OS, which basically lets you use your iPad as a second display, but That's with touch brilliant. input and pen input. Brilliant. So it supports the pencil. So that basically means that if you want touch input on your Mac, just a sidecar, in which can be done wired or wirelessly, a, an iPad, even a cheap old iPad that supports the pencil to it, and you're done. And yeah, that's, yeah, that's very great. good because yeah. cheap, you can get a pencil support iPad for like $300, right? So I think that's that's big news. Yep. And yep. it's not directly iPad OS related because it's really more of a Mac Catalina type thing, right? But again, that's but, the coming uh, the coming together as I as I see it of uh, you know yep. of, of the iPad and and the Mac, which is uh, is is great. I think it's you know it's it's a good move. It, the, 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 you know, there's a, there's a degree to which as these things come together. It will also draw in more customers who have maybe been, uh, you know, iPad users and not uh, not Mac users, or they've been Mac users and not iPad users. I mean, there are, there is slick integration between the iPhone, the iPad. And the Mac, from an operating system level, the you know the ability, the way you know how slick it is in terms of you take a phone call, maybe you've left your phone in the other room, but you're in, in front of your Mac or your iPad, and you can you know you can take those calls. Um, there, there's some very 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 nice uh, conveniences, I've got to say, with uh, with that integration and uh, Wi-Fi as well as a as a, as another thing, the way that gets uh, um, you know shared across devices. It's uh, it's. It's slick, and I think it's, it looks like Apple are, uh, are, are committed to uh, making that sort of uh, the, the, the ecosystem uh, just work better and better together. And uh, you know, we've we've seen 
advancements on the side of watch and um, and also uh, on the Apple TV side. So the, 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 you know, there's a lot going on here that uh, makes the Apple ecosystem, uh, I think, more more enticing. Certainly for those that are already part of the ecosystem, anyway. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think the, the big challenge is going to be with Catalyst, which is the layer that lets you use um, an I- iPad or iPhone app on the Mac, is obviously you don't want to use an iPhone app on the Mac, but it's possible to create – Put the idea here is that you should be able to create an app that runs on, a Mac, on an iPad, right? Yeah. That, would scale and run quite well on a Mac without having to do too much work. And this is important because, you know, you're going to say, well, there's no touch on the Mac and there's touch on the, exactly. So this is challenging. And, and obviously Apple's been working on this for a while now. Uh, it had another code name before that I'm completely blanking on right now before it's called Catalyst. Um, but, but basically, you know, it's, um, it's going to be the, the proof is going to be that Apple needs to release their own apps that have party that they use Catalyst that that are created with Catalyst that have you know parity in terms of user experience between the Mac and the iPad so that they can show developers how it's done. It's mm-hmm. kind of like you know when a Google they, they decided to make Nexus phones to show to show you know Android manufacturers how to make a phone properly. Yeah, yeah. Until that happens, this is a bit of a pipe dream because as we know, Apple uh, not Apple Google, Microsoft has failed miserably at making you know, you know Windows 10 apps that work properly both as you know touch based apps and as kind of legacy classic apps. Right? Uh, there's still that dichotomy still exists very much when you use a Windows laptop. You can either use one or the other, but it, it, together it doesn't work so well. So I think they're in that same boat, but I think Apple can crack that nut. And if they do, it's the next logical step, and I know they're philosophically against it, but Apple's been known to change their mind, is a touchscreen iPad. Mm, uh, sorry, mm. a touchscreen MacBook yeah, or yeah. MacBook Pro. And so I think this is very good news. I think a lot of kind of Mac purists are a little afraid, saying, oh, we don't want our Macs to be like iOS devices or iPad OS devices. And I'm like, that's I think that's what's happening. The OS stays the same. It's just the apps are in, you know, are kind of, you can run them across multiple platforms. And, and, and that I think is very clever because, you know, you just you're just opening up way more you know positive experiences for the users in the end, especially if it's done right. And this is where I think the caveat is: hopefully, Apple can do it right in terms of showing, setting the example for the rest of the developer world. Um, and so we'll see how it goes. But I feel very optimistic about it. And um, as long as they don't remove you know what I need in my macOS, which is you know terminal and full on you know a full on file system, I can do whatever I want with and all that stuff. I'm I'm going to be happy. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. We'll see how it goes. And honestly, I'm not a big fan of the touch bar. I, I don't want a Mac with a touch bar. Yeah. I'd rather have function keys and, uh, you know, maybe use an iPad as a secondary display with touch, personally. Sure, you know? sure. Now, I just want to... Or vi- even how about an iPhone as a secondary display with touch? You have an old iPhone lying around, you just like wirelessly connect it to your Mac wirelessly, and then yeah. it becomes a touch bar. Yeah. Like, that makes yeah. more sense to me. Now, I want to touch very quickly on uh, on Apple Watch. Uh, the new version of Watch OS is is coming, and what that will what that will bring to it is it'll actually have its own app store. Uh, we're going to see, for instance, a, an independent uh, podcast app that doesn't have to be you know tied to what you're doing on the phone. You would be able to uh, control podcasts from there. Obviously, if you've got a SIM card in your um, in your 
Apple Watch, which which isn't available in New Zealand at the moment, but uh, as telcos get their uh, get their act to, to together, uh, we will see that come to uh, come to market here. Uh, but the, you know, th- this will create, I think, um, probably you know, in some ways, I say this is sort of by stealth. Apple have been just slowly, incrementally changing the watch, and look. Most people don't wear a smart watch of any form. They're not generally that popular. Um, but as Apple have sort of incrementally changed, they've got enough developers on board. Uh, it really becomes the really the only uh, wearable uh, platform. Uh, I think out you know out, outside of uh, maybe uh, F- the Fitbit um, that has really a lot of a lot of developer interest and you know this will just help put them in that sort of stronger position if you want a smart device that you wear you want to be able to leave your phone behind when you go out uh, for a run or a ride uh, you know I guess there are varying s- scenarios where this this just uh, you know helps the watch sort of step up to be a actually genuinely uh, useful device and of course you've got uh, you know payments through it as as well as uh, you know, phone calls uh, coming coming through now, albeit not in, not in all markets. But uh, yeah, I thought the the um, you know some of the the, the notes of, of what's coming through for uh, uh, Watch OS look uh, look very smart. No, absolutely. I, I think that my favorite thing about that is is that you know you have the choice now if you have a an LTE capable Apple Watch to run some apps completely standalone and and you should because as soon as you get that kind of connectivity i mean you it opens up all kinds of things so i can't wait to see what developers are going to do with it to be honest yeah yeah uh there's there's a whole chunk more that we could uh, could chat through on the announcements there's uh uh dark mode coming uh, coming to the the iphone uh it seems everybody's announced sort of dark mode for <laughs> dark just mode about everything awesome over the last year on android phone it's really great yeah it's a it's a nice uh you know ni- nice uh, stylistic sort of change um and yeah it looks 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 good now a couple of other things uh before we wrap up that i want to uh, mention on a on a local New Zealand uh, basis we've had uh, Tesla model 3 finally become available for uh, for ordering Ooh, in New Zealand uh, so there's certainly going to be a, a bit of interest out there landing at uh, New Zealand dollars 73,900 for the standard uh, range plus which uh, is is um, you know not a low price point but I know that there's a bunch of people that have uh, wanted to uh, to have a Tesla and the Model S and Model X have been uh, certainly been out of range. This uh, certainly will will open it up to a much uh, much broader market, and their uh, flagship uh, performance uh, all wheel drive starting at ninety four thousand two hundred and deliveries starting in August for those that uh, uh, have got in and placed their orders. I I think it's it's worth mentioning that um, I think. Tesla have maybe done a little bit of a, a, a disservice to loyal customers here and that those who ponied up with a deposit uh, early on, and I think I would have put mine in maybe two and a half uh, years ago, uh, there was absolutely no benefit of having made a deposit. You're not going to get it sooner or anything like that. So, you know, there were obviously benefits in, in the US, but uh, here they've opened the doors uh, for for everybody at once. Um, 
Miriam, how are you going with your Model 3? You seem uh, pretty happy with it whenever we've uh, chatted about it. Yeah, still pretty pretty damn happy. I mean, it's definitely, uh, you know, and, and I don't know if the audience know this because if they don't listen to my show, they probably won't. But I'm a car enthusiast, so I, I'm a big proponent of driving cars with manual transmissions that burn gasoline and make fun noises and are fun to drive and handle well and are not necessarily very practical. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. Yeah. Um, and as uh, one of my vehicles is a Tesla Model 3, uh, it's the long-range rear-wheel drive that I have, so the kind of the middle of the pack in terms of uh, performance, and it's uh, the, the first one that was available in the U.S., so it's got the longest range, battery 310 miles, about 500 kilometers, and it has a uh, like four, 350 or so horsepower rear-wheel drive uh, drivetrain, and, and honestly, it's it's been a great experience. I uh, feel that... You know, they they are the only electric car company which have made a product so far. Uh, sorry, the only car company that makes an electric car that has made a product so far that I feel that um, I could be satisfied with. Um, I've driven a lot of electric cars from other companies. I haven't driven the new Audis that are coming and, of course, Porsche and Volkswagen are working on some new stuff. But And I'm sure that eventually they, they will get very, very good. But so far, even if you look at the Audi e-tron, um, SUV that just was released and is now for sale in the U.S. here, um, you know, immediately you start seeing things like, oh, okay, 240-mile range. You know, I'm used to 310. You know, 310-mile yes. range is means that practically speaking, because you never let the battery fully down and you never charge the battery fully up because at, extreme, at the extremes, it takes a lot of time to charge. It's in the middle where the charging speeds are fast. So it really gives you... 250 miles or so range. So 240 now probably gives you something like less than 200 mile range. And you're going to say, well, that's plenty enough. That might be plenty enough for you to go from, you know, one town to the next town or to run some errands in the, in the city. But in a gas car, you can go much, you know, you can easily go three, 400 miles on a tank. So that's what we need that parity because in North America, you know, I regularly drive between San Francisco and Portland, 665 miles. Um, and, and, you know, I stop three times, right? Yeah, you don't want to be stopping uh, and every I, and five minutes. And the only minutes. reason I can do that is because not the, the second thing that makes Tesla's amazing is, is not just the range, which obviously Audi can't even match, and, and a car that they've been talking about for three years now. Uh, but it's this charging network. There is no infrastructure, nearly as much infrastructure for r- fast charging. Uh, DC fast charging, which is, you know, what you need for long distance travel for the e-tron compared to what there is for Tesla, because Tesla has been rolling out their supercharging network forever now. Mm, And mm. so that's why I can pretty much go anywhere in the US without having to worry about filling up, basically. And, And even when I get local to, you know, and I don't need to fill up rapidly and I just want to top off, I can use regular AC charging pretty much off of everything or anything. Now, that's that's true of the Audi as well. But but my point is, like, I want to see the mainstream manufacturers finally get to the point where we can, as car enthusiasts say, they made a car as good as the Tesla. The areas where Tesla is a little, you know, worse is fit and finish and material quality for the price you pay. But honestly, it's not. A lot of people make it much worse than it is, number one. Number two, you know, early production on any car is always a little 
you know, insufficient in terms of quality, in, in my opinion. That happens to all manufacturers. But yeah, Tesla is a little more guilty of that. But my car has zero issues, and it's almost a year old. Uh, and, and zero manufacturing issues, zero fit and finish issues. It, it has, you know, it does feel very premium and comfortable and nice inside. Maybe not as nice as an Audi of the same price. But you pay for the batteries. You pay for the drivetrain. You pay for the R&D. You pay for the zero to 60 in four seconds that I get in a real-world drive car that's not even the perfect performance model you know you get you get autonomous a semi-autonomous driving uh you know autonomous is not really there yet but uh autopilot is so much many leaps ahead of anything else out there in terms of assistive technology and and you don't get that from other manufacturers that e-tron's not going to have that level of assistance Uh, and so to me that's kind of why i like the tesla so much is at the core it's a great driving experience lots of torque you get that on any electric car but particularly you know so far electric cars have always been these kind of appliance cars to go run groceries and they haven't really been driver's cars tesla is the first to make a car that's a driver's car Mm. and you really feel that with all of their cars so if you're a driver like me if you're an enthusiast and you're like screaming at the clouds get off my lawn i don't want to give up my gasoline manual transmissions trust me check out a Tesla because it will open your eyes and blow your mind and you'll be like I'm sold on electric and then especially when you see the range the network of superchargers the uh, the incredible technology everything is software upgradable I've received a software upgrade a month and literally every month I get a new feature thrown in for free like self-parking like uh, let's see uh, a dash cam is built in now like uh, oh Sentry which is a way for the car to start recording a 360 degree video when somebody uh, um, gets too close to the car that's cool uh, isn't it for security yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean these are things that you never hear from a car normal car manufacturer even feasible and Yet it is feasible and they know it is. They just want to make money and want their dealerships to make money. Mm. And they're stuck in this really old thought pattern and they need to break out of that. I cannot wait. I welcome Porsche, Audi, BMW, Mercedes to the table. Please do something that can literally compete with Tesla, not just, oh, we're trying to, we're getting there and not really putting your heart to it because that's my biggest gripe right now. Yeah. Now, I should just mention on the on the New Zealand front, the uh, what they refer to as full full self-driving capability, that's an extra $8,000, and that doesn't mean that that's what you're going to get immediately, but they have highlighted for this market, and I think a, you know, a bunch of other markets outside of the US, that uh, that will include auto lane change uh, immediately while driving on the motorway, uh, auto park, parallel and perpendicular spaces, but uh, more interesting is, is coming later this year uh, that it will recognise and respond to traffic lights and stop signs, uh, automatic driving on city streets, uh, summon to bring your uh, parked car, will will find you in a car park and come to you, uh, mm-hmm. and then the navigate on autopilot, which is, you know, up until this time, you know, one of the one of the big uh, I guess futuristic features that you've had there Miriam in the US market but we've been wondering you know if when is that coming uh, to the New Zealand market but they are they are saying on their website which I hope carries a bit more weight than a tweet from Elon Musk uh, which I'm not so confident in now uh, but they are saying navigate on autopilot coming later this year Automatic driving from motorway on ramp to to off ramp, including yeah, I have that feature, you know interchanges and it's and uh, it's very good. Yeah, You'd yeah. Really be surprised how well it works. Um, I have that, and I have summon, and I have 
uh, auto park and uh, you know lay, uh, auto lane change and all that stuff. Um, I basically have a package that I don't think they sell anymore called Enhanced Autopilot, which is basically everything short of self-driving, like full autonomous driving. Yeah. Um, I, I have to pay a little extra if I want to add that, and it requires, and my car will require hardware upgrade uh, of the computers. Yeah. Uh, which is yeah. apparently done at the service center in like half an hour. Yeah. Whereas um, these models but, shipping today have their their new third generation uh, chip yeah, in, yeah. in all of them. So you know that's what their big event was about a few weeks ago. So uh, so that that's there right from the get go. Great. Well, right. I mean, as I said, you know, if if you're listening and you're thinking, uh, should I do it? You know, honestly, Miriam I don't know what the yes. supercharging network is like in New Zealand, but uh, it's growing. Short, I mean, short of that being an issue, I would say go for it. You will mm. not regret your decision. It is. It is a. Is it? It's like the iPhone. Uh, moment for cars mm-hmm. it really has changed everything and it you know i still keep my old cars because i love driving stick shift and i like the sound of an engine and i like the it's a different experience but it's not a worse experience yeah. or a better experience and yeah. that's the thing i've learned in this nine well ten months now of owning this car it, it's that you know, my hunch was correct because <laughs> when I was at Engadget as a reporter, I, I was one of the first tech reporter that was not an automotive journalist to drive to test drive the Model S when it was launched in 2012. And it, that's when my aha moment was like, I was like, OK, I get it. I get it now. I know what you're doing, Tesla. This is absolutely the future. And so I waited and waited because I couldn't afford a Model S. And and, you know, I was lucky because I waited and we got autopilot and we got all these great features while I waited and we got the Model 3 and I put my deposit down and I got it. It took me two years. After putting my deposit down, but honestly, I'm glad I was there as one of the first users, just as I'm glad I was there as one of the first iPhone users, even though I am primarily an Android user now, uh, and I've been for pretty much day one of Android. But I do appreciate that Apple, you know, made the paradigm change happen for the industry by bringing in the iPhone. Yeah. And that paradigm change is what Tesla is bringing. Now, don't, on, don't fool yourselves. Yeah. Five years from now, these cars will be the norm. Now, talking about paradigm changes, uh, another thing happening in New Zealand is Spark Sport. have uh, Their uh, new app has arrived on Samsung TVs, and, of course, this is part of this transition of how how we, how we watch content, and you know, probably most listening to this show uh, will already be in the camp that uh, most of the content that they watch today is, is streamed rather than uh, uh, broadcast through you know, either satellite uh, with Sky or, or you know, free-to-air. Uh, but that has launched... Uh, uh, they're running a little bit behind because they had announced it for uh, for May. I'll be trying that out over the next uh, next few days and uh, you know getting a feel for how that works. Uh, Samsung are uh, sending over the new 8K uh, TV to uh, to try, so a little bit of feedback on uh, on how that works. So uh, that'll be coming up in the in the weeks ahead. But that's us for this week. So thank you very much, uh, Miriam, for joining the show once again. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Now, those who are really interested in staying on the forefront of what's happening in uh, in mobile tech, uh, from mostly gadgets that fit in your pocket, but also uh, uh, big mobile tech like uh, like cars, um, like the Mac Pro, which has wheels. Yeah, right. That's true. That's true. <laughs> yes, there's an option to get wheels on it. Um, we just remind listeners where they uh, where they find the show. 
Uh, mobiletechpodcast.com is URL. We're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Overcast, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, probably some other places too. Uh, if you're old school and you just want RSS feed, go to mobiletechpodcast.com. And more importantly, please follow me on social. I'm at Tankerl. That's T-N-K-G-R-L on Twitter and Instagram. That's like the comic book character Tankerl, but drop the vowels. And I have a YouTube channel that's a complement to the podcast that uh, has video content. To awesome video content. content. Awesome. Some video content. So yeah. uh, youtube.com slash Miriam Joar, my full name spelt out without any spaces, will get you to the YouTube channel. Please subscribe to the podcast and subscribe to the YouTube channel and tell your friends about it. Nice. Excellent. Well, thank, thanks again, Miriam. Uh, and for listeners, we, we still do have changes coming to NZ Tech Podcast uh, around mid-year. If you haven't filled out the survey, please go to nztechpodcast.com slash survey. Give us your feedback and thoughts uh, for the show reboot coming your way soon. All right. Thanks, everyone. We'll catch you again next week. See ya. Bye. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.